Sam. Hey, Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may, not, may, may, may or may not have heard of. Great start. That was an amazing start. <laughs> How are you? Good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Good. Yeah, pretty good. My contract good. is nearly over. And for, like this is the first time, I think, when like fear of, uh, of, of a lack of income has... Uh, has been less than like uh, the relief, kind of like of leaving uh, nice. a position. Excellent stuff. I am still waiting on my new job, but I'm having a nice relaxing like week or so off, or maybe a couple of weeks off. Everyone needs that before jobs, before a new job. <laughs> Decompress. Decompress. Read some books. Yeah. Um. For everyone listening, this is episode two of a two part person so if you haven't listened to part one you need to go back to last week listen to part one because a lot of this isn't going to make sense i mean it still will but it's probably better to to listen to part one first and then come back because this person's life has been leading up to something pretty momentous <laughs> so you should probably go back and listen to part one first and on that note shall we let's continue eh? and do hang around afterwards to listen to our innate chatter <laughs> so this is part two of Elron hubbard creator founder of scientology we left off last episode where we had covered hubbard's first two marriages his time in the u.s navy during world war ii and the publication of dianetics and that's where we kind of ended so we're going to start now with the rise of scientology so from here on out after um hubbard renamed like dianetics scientology he completely devoted his life to scientology so at first hubbard had actually resisted the idea of past lives even in 1950, the Board of Trustees of the Dianetics Foundation, which is now Scientology, had sought to like ban the subject. But now he's starting to think it might be a good idea. Because if we're remembering past lives, then doesn't that mean we're actually immortal? Like, we keep going on mm-hmm. forever. So he decides that this is a thing, past lives, and that when people are remembering their past lives in sessions with either him or with a different auditor, that's a past life of theirs, and it's what's called returning. So, like, returning to your past life. So nabbed that from Buddhism. Yeah, I mean, also other religions, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Hinduism, I think, as well. And also, I think people do believe that in general, even when it's not connected with religion. But I think that he he kind of took it on because that means that, that people are immortal. Okay, so these returnings were often, like, quite disturbing and brutal, and people wouldn't feel the same after they'd remembered them. Like, you know, remembering, like, beatings or whatever, and that'd be pretty horrific. So Hubbard decided to sit split the human in, into three parts the soul which is he called thetan which we talked about last week mm-hmm. which lives in or near the body but is separate from it the mind which stores things for thetan like pictures images memories and communicates for it and then the body which is just like a physical vessel he also created the idea of a suppressive person an sp which is anyone who stands in the way of thetan spiritual progress so basically anyone that's against scientology <laughs> or anyone that's not a scientologist in general so if you're speaking out against scientology or if you're someone who's left scientology or if you're someone who you know turns your nose up at it you're an sp you're a suppressive person and that is something that's still a thing today so just being like, yeah, I'm not so sure about the whole Thetan thing. That's 
instant suppressive person. Scientology believes that the whole world is supposed to be like cleared. Yeah. So I think that they they kind of work towards having everyone be a Scientologist. And that wouldn't necessarily be a suppressive person, that person who just went, oh, I'm not sure about it. But I think that someone who like literally speaks out against or even like tries to tell their friend like, oh, don't, don't go to Scientology. Hmm. They would tell that person, your friend is a suppressive person. Oh, okay then. So yeah. Um, so that's an important like, thing that he created at this time. So we heard in the last episode that the Dianetics movement had actually subsided and the initial excitement after the publication of Dianetics had worn off. But he was determined that Scientology would be different matter and wanted to maintain complete control. Because what happened with Dianetics that he's he had like kind of sold it off to almost like franchised it Mm. and that hadn't worked so this time he wanted to solve those problems so one of the problems with making money with dianetics was the association with other therapies and psychotherapies like if i go to therapy with a problem and then like therapy helps me i'd stop going to therapy and i'd be like great i'm good or (laughs) you stop going to a certain therapy Mm -hmm. like Maybe you don't like CBD. I hate CBD. I hate but that I too. Like, I, I like talk therapy. Mm-hmm. So you stop going to one, you go to a different one because you think it helps more. Mm. So if Scientology is just like a therapy, there's a problem there because people move on from it. And he, you know, he didn't want that because oh, he wants man. people to stay forever. So he wants to keep them messed up. Keep them coming yeah. back. Well, not necessarily messed up, but he wants to keep them in the system of Scientology to keep them working up the scale. So, um, religion solves that problem because if you're a religion, you stay for life. Um, clever, also, clever. <laughs> yeah, also tax advantages. Oh, yeah. So, the Church of Scientology was established in California on the 18th of February, 1954, followed quickly by another in Washington, D.C. I thought there was going to be, like, way more fanfare about this. Like, we had to, like, do loads of stuff. No, they just, like, set up a church. I'm not surprised that this started in California. Like, all the craziest stuff comes from California. Oh, yeah. It's all that sun. Nobody's supposed to get that much sun. (laughs) So, as I mentioned last week, Hubbard had just married his third wife, Mary Sue, in 1951. She was very poised, had those Southern American manners, very different to his first two wives. She was a true believer in Hubbard and very fiercely loyal to him. That's such a Southern name, Mary Sue. Mary Sue. (laughs) I love it. Their family was growing. Between 1952 and 1958, they had four children together. Diana, Quinton, Arthur and Suzette. Children didn't get much of a formal education and had nannies and tutors rather than like formal school. It was actually Diana who taught Suzette to read and write. Um, They kind of had to ask to be educated, which is a bit strange. They moved around a lot in the 1950s, first to Washington, then to London, and then back to Washington. His finances started to grow again. In 1957, the church started paying him a percentage of their profits. And also with that and the sale of e-meters and his 60 books that were in print at this time did him pretty well. Oh, actually, what's his kid count now? His kid count is seven. Okay. So he's got two children from his first marriage, mm-hmm. which is Elrond Jr. and I can't remember the daughter's name. I apologize. Then he's got Alexis from the second marriage, just one. And now he's got four from Mary Sue. So that's seven altogether. Okay. 
come a bit more to them. Like, I'll tell you what happened mm-hmm. to them at the end. He was still taking clients and writing books. He published one in 1957 called All About Radiation, in which he claimed to be a nuclear physicist. <laughs> the family moved back to England to like Sussex in 1959 and he presented himself as Dr Hubbard an experimental horticultural scientist which he did by sending a photo of himself testing the e-meter on tomatoes you might have seen that picture it's quite famous (laughs) Um, and there was like a magazine article that said like tomatoes have feelings or something So in England, here, uh, but the children had wonderful mansions to play around in. And, you know, they sometimes went to school, sometimes didn't. There's one story about how Quinton was fascinated with aeroplanes. So he got the tutor to drive him to the airport to just watch aeroplanes go off instead of going to school. <laughs> but one day they were, like, fascinated with what he was doing, like, upstairs in his research room. So they went up to him and asked him what Scientology was. And he immediately put them on a Dianetics course. His kids? Yeah, his kids. So they were on the road to Scientology. Hubbard was now not only reinventing himself as a religious leader, but he was also inventing Scientology like as he went along. But as Scientology grew, the scrutiny also grew. In 1963, there was a raid conducted by US Marshals who seized more than 100 E-meters from the Washington branch. The FDA said that the E-meter like, was claiming it could cure what well, it wasn't true, so they... Took it away. Then the IRS began to order the church, stripped its religious tax exemption in 1967, though this was repealed in 1973. Oh, so it is back back on that exemption list, getting them breaks Yeah, it was. And then I think there was more talk about it, but now it's like officially definitely religion so how easy is it to get on that list in the first place just like well i guess nowadays a lot more difficult but this is you know this is a while ago so i think there's like a whole load of criteria that you have to like you know you have to fit into i bet it's still really arbitrary though you have to help at least five old people (laughs) (laughs) okay so in the midst of all this upheaval hubbard finally did declared there was a second clear so i think if you listen to last episode he declared that there was a woman who was clear and clear means that you have like all memories of your life and your past lives and happiness and she's it's not the like final stage there's more stages after clear but clear is like what you aim to get basically they want the whole world to get clear this sounds sneakingly sneakily like nirvana Yeah. <laughs> this is a. I'm calling plagiarism. Though, <laughs> clear that we mentioned last week was an absolute disaster. This clear was called John McMaster, and he was South African. He was a medical student, but dropped out to become an, a Scientology auditor. He was well mannered and charming. He started to go on talk shows and lectures, and the idea of becoming clear managed to catch on, partly because of the sky. England then decided to take steps to curb the growth of Scientology and Hubbard began looking for a safe harbour to live in as opposed to Sussex. Is it is there a large church like following here then? It is a religion here. There's the big the big um building in Tottenham Court Road. I don't know if that's still there. But it was there for a really long time. Oh yeah, I got given a book about it. Someone tried to Get me so to go to Scientology. <laughs> I totally forgot about that while I was working, like around there. Oh, I'm sure that I've also got like, you know, 
leaflets or whatever and it's just like move just walk away <laughs> but same with like jehovah's witnesses they're always trying to give you like yeah, yeah. leaflets and books whatever okay so he then sold his interests in Hub- the hubbard association of scientologists international and resigned as the executive director of the church though he actually in reality maintained control he was just trying to like save face and he sailed to rhodesia which is now zimbabwe Mm-hmm. but was kicked out soon after and he had plans to make it like his own country and like rule what? over them and like hand out <laughs> his own passports this is not even a joke and have his that own currency is... and everything but obviously that was never going to happen with his face on it absolutely 100% <laughs> with his face on it he needed a new plan as many countries governments were lining up against him and there were whispers in the church of some sort of sea project so, he sailed off to Tangier for a month, where he began working on operating Thebes in level three, which is like three stages above clear. So, there were already like one and two, and now there's a third one. So, this is a very controversial stage in Scientology, and Hubbard himself called it his wall of fire. And I'll come to what is actually in that stage in oh, a second. Geez. Is it like, it's not going to actually involve fire, is it? <laughs> no, there's no... Well... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there is a bit of fire. You'll see. So in 1967, Mary Sue, his wife, comes to England to the Canarians to take care of him as he had become very sick. He had like pneumonia and like depressed. It was at this time that he asked her to find out who is behind the attacks on Scientology and he establishes the Sea Org. And by Sea Org, I mean the Sea Organization, which is still something that is in the church today. The Sea Organization is essentially the clergy of the church. At the start, it was a group of Hubbard's disciples. Nowadays, it's people who work for the church, live on their property, eat their food, you know, everything, get paid. Mm. Not very much because they're, they're given like living expenses. So it's kind of, they say that it's like equivalent. So like proper dedicated then. Well, they're asked to sign a billion year contract. Sorry? A billion year contract. A billion year. A billion years. (laughs) Like, I don't know if the world's going to be around (laughs) anymore. So for like their life and their their lives going forward. That is crazy. Oh, so hang on. Hubbard's brainchild. Because obviously they're going to come back, right? So then they have to carry on. Yeah, so they have to carry on. I see. So to hear more about the modern day Sea Org, I would go over to Leah Remini's Fair Game podcast. And they just did one with a Sea Org member who had been there for like 30 years or something. So it's really interesting. I guess it hasn't been like, it's not been long around long enough for like multiple generations. So we don't know if they're like, so if someone else joins as a Sea Org, they're like, you'll obviously that person. Who was who's already signed the contract? Come back. I don't know. Well, I I don't know. Maybe like they do claim to like you know remember their past lives, but I don't know if there's anyone. This would be really interesting to know actually if there's anyone who's been like, oh, I was a Scientologist in my past life. Because you're right, it's still quite new. Hmm. But I'm sure that has happened. So the first seal was made up of about thirty five people whose aim was to get ethics in on this planet and universe. What is the grammar of that? I don't know. Okay. What saying there's no ethics? So all well, the think... all the work done previously in the no, great canon of philosophy. We need to make everyone clear through Scientology, <laughs> and then everything will be fine. Okay. So Hubbard was refitting an exhausted fishing trawler called the, and he called it the Avon River, and this is in the Los uh, Palmas in the Canary Islands. So. Hubbard would eat and drink with his crew who were working to clean and revamp the ship and like fit it with all the stuff they needed to fit it with. He would tell them stories like, you know, 
while they were doing this. One of his favourites was a young woman called Hannah Strachan, who Hubbard appointed as his first female Sea Org lieutenant. I think at this time she was in her early 20s when she joined. Hubbard would drive every day from his villa in the Canary Islands to the ship to inspect the work. When something was wrong, he would shout and scream and it would be horrible. Stamp his feet, have a little temper tantrum. Yeah. According to many, Hubbard then fell in love with a young woman called Yvonne Gillum, a beautiful model who had three children. She joined the Sea Org with her children and she actually later headed up the Celebrity Centre. So mm-hmm. even though I don't have like loads more information on her, I just thought that was interesting that she's the person that set that up. She was like a model, so she was already like kind of famous in her own right. Can they like pass down their Sea Org like title to their children, like a lord? Um, so if you're in the Sea Org and you have kids, you're kind of not really allowed. Like if you want to have kids, I think you have to leave the Sea Org. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. This this woman hannah she married someone in but then they were posted to different places oh but there were children on board some of these ships and let me carry on and you'll see so in autumn 1967 they set sail with no purpose but to wander at this time hubbard was 56 there were three ships in hubbard's navy or fleet the avon river the enchanter and the royal scotman it was actually originally called the royal scotsman but they had to change it (laughs) because of like legal reasons where he spent most of his time on the royal scotman and he had an air-conditioned captain's cabin on, like, a big promenade deck. He had a research room with, like, oriental rugs and a mahogany desk and a fireplace. And Mary Sue was on board as well, and they dined together in the evenings. And their children as well. Mm. He made the motto of the Sea Org, We Come Back, referring to past lives. He himself said he was a contemporary of Machiavelli, a marshal to Joan of Arc, and Tamurain's wife. So there you go. This it reminds yeah. me of King John Mill, like you know, oh, like yeah. he's written five hundred <laughs> sonatas or something. Like he also said that he had buried treasure on the coast of Sicily in a past life, and he sent a small crew on the Avon River, headed up by Hannah, to search for it, which they did in nineteen sixty three. Eight, they found no treasure, but they did find some like bricks, and he explained it away, being like, "Ah, oh, yes, this was the castle, and it must have fallen into the sea." They went to other places on the expedition looking for other things he said he had left to buried, like his time working as a Roman tax collector. <laughs> At this time, Hannah had become the captain of the Avon River. She was only 26. She was, like, really worried about this because she'd never even, like, worked at sea before. So Halbert got her to record time when she was a captain in her past lives. And she recalled in her past life when she had been a captain of a spaceship and a planet had, like, exploded. So she lived in Star Wars? Yeah. In a galaxy. <laughs> in her past life. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Very far, Excellent. far away. <laughs> So off the coast of Corsica, Hubbard claimed that there was an underground space station and he provided them with coordinates. He also said that only one person's hand would unlock the door to it. However, as they got there, the Royal Scotman had run into trouble with authorities in Valencia and they had to abandon the task. Oh no, I wish they'd found that space debris he was talking about. He made peace in Valencia and threw a party. (laughs) As you do. So it's only a fishing trawler they've got. Like, that can't be comfortable living. No, there's a fishing trawler and then two other ships which are, like, more proper ships. Oh, okay then. Because, I mean, like, 
if you're gonna live out at sea, you want like a cargo ship, don't you? That's what you. I think I can't remember what the other two ships were. I think one of them might be a cargo ship, and the other one was like a proper like sailing ship or something. I don't know. <laughs> Here we are. So in March 1968, Hubbard finally revealed operating theta level three to a select number of Sea Org members aboard the Royal Scotman. This was where he was told of the incident he had discovered. Here it is. According to Hubbard, a tyrannical overlord by the name of Xenu ruled over a galactic confederacy 75 million years ago, which had 76 planets in it. He said that Xenu's troops slaughtered the population and froze them and packaged them into boxes. They were then transported to Tigiak, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Scientologists, now called Earth, where they were dropped into volcanoes and then destroyed with hydrogen bombs. However, Thetans are immortal and they lived on. And so Xenu was captured and placed in an electrified wire cage on a mountain. So Tgak, the prison planet, was abandoned and as humans came, the Thetans attached themselves to the human. Hubbard said that the aim of Scientology was to clear the planet so it didn't self-destruct. So there you go. I see. That's what you learn in operating Thetan level 3. I mean, um, yeah, really using them sci-fi talents to... uh... He also didn't explain how he'd come to this. I just guess by like auditing himself. Anyway, so there was so there's hydrogen bombs before we invented hydrogen bombs. I mean, yeah, Zenu had everything. Oh man, Hannah, the captain of one of the ships we talked about, was one of the chosen few who got to read the documents. One by the one, they went in and read them. She felt both that it made sense, but that also it was unfathomable because she was like so devoted that <laughs> it kind of, you know. I definitely have some questions, but I don't have some questions. Like, yeah, I'm exactly. 100% on board with this. Also among the first to learn was 14-year-old Quinton Hubbard's heir apparent. So his son. Uh-huh. After he learned, he threw up violently and apparently was never the same afterwards. He was 14. Yikes. Definitely should have not learned about that. Jeez. Hubbard began working also on Scientology ethics, saying that people were actually generally good underneath and that understanding what good and evil was could only be achieved by learning the eight dynamics that he'd created. Basically, what I'm getting from this is Hubbard was obsessed with making like scales and new like offices and new like bits of Scientology. And even if you like, even if I read Going Clear like 500 times, I'd still be confused about how many different aspects of Scientology there are. Even though these years were crucial to Scientology, one by one, ports were turning away the fleet, Scientology becoming viewed as dangerous. One day in 1968, in Valencia, there was a storm and the Royal Scotman was damaged. The crew were reduced to liability, which was low on Hubbard's new ethics scale. And they were made to wear rags. They were not allowed to bathe, and they just had to clean and repair the ship. What the hell? See, I thought it was quite nice when he was just like, people aren't like people aren't evil. It's like, oh, that's a nice uh, sentiment. I, I, I like that. I don't think people are fundamentally evil. But now he's reducing people to rags. <laughs> this has taken a... Because they're like low on the ethics scale or something. On I the don't ethics know how scale? On earth a storm could be there for. Yeah, this doesn't... Um, so basically, Mary Sue was left in charge... And Hubbard sailed away on the Avon River. With him gone, the mood lightened on the ship. People actually really liked Mary Sue. She had a good like way of dealing with them. She was personable. She had little parties in her cabin. But eventually Hubbard did return. 
Hubbard also developed punishments. One that became practice was overboarding, which is exactly how it sounds. This happened nearly every morning and no one was exempt and no one spared except for his family. They would be thrown over and then hauled back on board. So like a pirate ship? Like if they resisted, they would tie their hands and feet what? together. That is actually like a pirate ship. Yeah. And then they'd haul them back on the ship. Like people would have died if they hadn't been like saved by other crew members. I mean, he was a writer, so I'm not surprised that he he likes the pirates. He loves a pirate. He also created messengers who were generally teenage girls, either his own daughters or other Sea Org members who would run sending messages for him and perform tasks like lighting cigars for him and shouting at people for him. So it wasn't like overtly sexual. It was just like an intimate relationship, but not like a sexual intimate uh-huh. relationship. Like it was almost like he had more children of his own, but he they he oh, would okay. make them go and shout at people for him, like in his Very voice. Strange. He told them to imitate his voice and be like, what? "You asshole!" <laughs> it was, it's a really strange. And they were allowed to make their own uniforms, and they chose to wear like hot pants and stuff. It's a bit strange. What? Yeah. He also punished children. One uh, was thrown in a dark, damp room for two days without blankets or use of the bathroom. Basically, he viewed children as adults in children's bodies because Thetans are, like, always adults. They're, like, a soul is old. So they should be treated the same as adults, apparently, which is just weird. At one point, Helder changed the names of his ships to sever their ties of Scientology. Not because he wanted to sabotage Scientology, but because there was some sort of weird boo made in Switzerland by some people, of which I won't go into because it doesn't really involve Hubbard. But they became Diana, Athena, and Apollo. So are these ships, like, out at sea, supposed to be kind of, like, um, mimicking, like, ships in space? In his I don't think so. No, okay. he just... I think that he was... he Like, everybody dressed like, um, like the Navy. They dressed oh, okay. in, like, uniforms, like... They were I suppose he was dressed in the as Navy, a captain. So yeah, exactly. Sense. So I think it makes sense. And he did, like, one of the things that, to give him credit for, is he did teach everyone on board, like, navigational stuff that he learned in the Navy and oh, how okay. to actually, like, run a ship. So it's not I like... I mean, to be fair, those are skills I, I wish I had. Yeah, you're always telling me how much you love the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> God, I would hate to be in the Navy. If I had to pick, like, one bit of the military to be in maybe it would be bottom of my list yeah definitely i guess so seasick okay <laughs> so in october 1969 he landed in port near marrakesh hubbard sent a few young women on to try and secure morocco for scientology so he's still on this idea that like he wants to get like a scientology country and like have his own like passports and stuff like an invasion not an invasion more like these women are trying to woo the okay then it wasn't going like too badly but then it didn't work obviously (laughs) after a few years of trying to get close to the elites they were ordered out in december 1972 so they're for like three years this is an interesting piece of information so in the early 1970s a woman who i feel like is now my spirit animal called paulette (laughs) cooper First wrote an article and then a book opposing Scientology. The book was called The Scandal of Scientology. They sent her death threats and the church tried to sue her. Then Alexis, Hubbard's daughter by his second wife, came to see her and there was... Apparently Hubbard had tr- written a letter to her trying to claim that she was illegitimate, which she wasn't. 
Then one day, Cooper was out of town with, and her cousin was house-sitting when someone knocked on the door with flowers and as she opened the door, took a shot at her. What but the, the gun hell? didn't go off, so he tried to strangle her. What the But hell? she screamed and he ran. And this wasn't even Cooper, this was her cousin. So at least try and murder the right person. to murder? Shit. Obviously, like, Scientology claimed that there's nothing to do with them. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? Her phone was also tapped. Her neighbours were told that she was a prostitute. Her files were stolen from her therapist and mailed to her parents. What? And then she was charged with mailing bomb threats to the church and even had a letter with her fingerprints on. That's scary. Yeah, and she, like, um, remembers signing, like, a petition for something and they must have got her fingerprints from that. They call this Operation Freakout. So this is the first instance of fair gaming. So fair gaming is what church calls like when someone is like a suppressive person or whatever. It's fair game, like to just kind of ruin their lives, basically. Yikes! So 1970s. So during the 1970s, uh, Halbert faced more legal threats. First in France due to customs violations. He left the Sea Org temporarily in 1972 and lived in hiding in Queens, New York. He returned to the Sea Org in 1973, but his health was deteriorating. He was a chain smoker and very overweight. So over the 70s, he had a motorbike accident in 73, a heart attack in 75, a pulmonary embolism in 78, in which he went into a coma and then woke up. But he also remained active in managing Scientology. In 1974, he established the Rehabilitation Project Force, which is it's quite controversial. Think about like rehabilitation and what that might mean. Again, head over to some of the other Scientology podcasts to learn more about that. But the Sea Org voyages were coming to an end. There was a riot at one of the events held on Apollo. They held like a music event to kind of promote Scientology and there was like a riot. So Hubbard decided to establish a land base. He moved into the Fort Harrison Hotel in Florida and then a condo. But their presence was meant to be closely guarded but it accidentally was compromised so the following month they moved to washington and then to la quinta so in 1976 something big happened in their family their son quinton committed suicide in las vegas oh no so he had broken free from scientology and driven to nevada he'd only just learned to drive as well i think he was like still really young he was found in a car parked on sunset road facing an airport runway so he'd clearly been like watching the planes go off hit the windows were rolled up and an exhaust pipe was in the passenger's window oh, poor guy Mary Sue was distraught at her son's death everyone knew that he was her favorite hubbard was convinced that he had been murdered I don't think that's true. I think you probably committed suicide. I don't think someone would murder someone by sticking an exhaust pipe. No. Yeah, that's pretty difficult to do. That's pretty difficult to pull off, I reckon. Grim stuff. So in 1966, he had established yet another office called the Guardian's Office. He believed that Scientology was being attacked by an international Nazi conspiracy and ordered various operations, including removing negative reports on Scientology. Members of the Guardian's office infiltrated and burglarized. I love the word burglarized. <laughs> numerous government organizations, including the US Department of Justice and the IRS. Two members were caught in 1977, and the FBI raided the offices of the GO. They found 90,000 pages of incriminating documents. Halbert's wife, Mary Sue, was indicted and subsequently convicted of conspiracy. She was sent to federal prison along with 10 other Scientologists. But Hubbard 
was not. Uh, how did yeah. he escape this? They kept him out of everything by using like code names and stuff. So there was no no evidence against him because they just managed to keep him out of it. So he was just basically like protected. Other people yeah. just like would take the fall for him. Mm-hmm. Wow. In nineteen seventy eight, France France convicted him in absentia of obtaining money under false pretenses and he was charged a hefty fine. He went into hiding in April 1979, moving into an apartment in California where his only contact with the outside world were 10 trusted messengers. He cut off everyone and didn't even see his wife after August 1979. Um, Hubbard faced possible indictment for his role in Operation Freakout, which was the journalist who wrote the book. And in February 1980, he disappeared into deep cover the company of only two trusted messengers, Pat and Annie Broker. He moved around, first in the 1980s, mainly in the Pacific Northwest. Hubbard used his time to write his first new works of science fiction for nearly 30 years. Battlefield Earth, which was uh, 1982, and Mission Earth, a 10-volume series published between 85 and 87. And he also wrote some jazz music. Fair. In Hubbard's absence, members of the Sea Org staged a takeover of the Church of Scientology and purged many of the veteran Scientologists. A young messenger, David Miscavige, became Scientology's de facto leader. For those of you who don't know, David Miscavige is still the head of Scientology today. Religions have a good purge, don't they? Let's just put, let's just wipe the slate clean. It's all fine. Mary Sue Hubbard was forced to resign her position and their daughter, Suzette, became Miscavige's personal maid. What? Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't know whether that was out of choice or not. I really hope it was. Poor, poor Suzette. Hi, Suzette. Your last name. So... Let's get to the death. For the last two years of his life, Hubbard lived in a luxury bluebird motor home on Whispering Winds, a 680-acre ranch near Creston, California. He remained in deep hiding while controversy raged in the outside world about whether he was alive and if so, where. He spent his time writing and researching, according to spokesmen from the church, and pursued photography and music, overseeing construction work, and checking on his animals. He was still closely involved in managing the church Scientology, like secretly delivering orders, and continued to receive large amounts of money. Forbes magazine estimated at least $200 million was gathered in Hubbard's name through 1982. Yikes, that's quite a chunk of change. Yeah. In September 1985, the IRS notified the church that it was considering indicting Hubbard for tax fraud. It's always a tax fraud. That's how they always get him. However, they didn't, didn't get a chance to. Hubbard suffered ill health, including chronic pancreatitis during his residence. He suffered a stroke on the 17th of January 1986 and died a week later. His body was cremated and the ashes were scattered at sea. Scientology leaders announced that his body had become an impediment to his work and he decided to drop his body and continue his research on another planet, having learned to do it without a body. Right? <laughs> No comment. Hubbard was survived by his wife, Mary Sue, and all of his children except of his son, Quentin. He provided a trust fund to support Mary Sue in his will. Her children, Arthur, Diana, Suzette, and Catherine, the daughter of his first wife, Polly. But he disinherited his other two children, Elrond Jr. and um, Alexis. So Elrond Hubbard Jr. had become estranged. He had actually changed his name to Ronald D. Wolfe. And in 1982, 
sued unsuccessfully for the controller's father's estate. Alexis Valerie, Hubbard's daughter by his second wife, Sarah, had attempted to contact her father in 1971, and she was rebuffed with an implied claim that her real father was Jack Parsons rather than Hubbard, and that her mother had been a Nazi spy during the war. Just for context, Alexis apparently looked like the spitting image of Hubbard. <laughs> like, there's no way she was illegitimate. Both later accepted settlements when litigation was threatened. Like, to get money from as well. In 2001, Diana and Suzette were reported to still be church members, while Arthur had left to become an artist. Hubbard's great-grandson, Jamie DeWolf, is a noted slam poet. Yeah, okay. And that is all I have. So now, Hubbard just lives on in the memory of Scientology. And on the other David planet. Miscavige as at the head. I know I said in like 2001 they were reported to still be mem- like members of the church. I don't know if they still are. But I don't know if they're still alive or if they're still members. But interesting that they stayed for so long. Wow. That was a wild ride. It was. I hope you all learned a lot. Interesting things. Isn't there a will self book where a guy called dave starts religion it's called like the church of dave or something may i'm not sure i haven't read that so um danny danny wallace started a religion yeah join us i thought it wasn't really a religion but it was a thing it was (laughs) just just a a thing thing that everyone joined didn't um what's his name jared leto started like a movement didn't he yeah Yeah. it's it's really weird youtube it seriously there's a youtube i like if you if you google jared leto cult yeah do jared leto cult (laughs) okay then then. you'll get this girl she's really good she talks about like deep she does deep dives and stuff and it's just mad how many people like follow jared leto like i'm definitely looking into this like 30 seconds to mars craziness (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they do have some good songs though to be fair to them yeah but there's one like there's being a band and then there's having a cult <laughs> like so um what's for dinner risotto oh nice oh yes mm-hmm. rocking the risotto. risotto this week as well we're having How chili ah, in um classic. like tortilla boats oh nice yeah it's gonna be carby gonna have some uh, doritos on the side we should have got some actually but that is king. We didn't. Yeah, that would have been king. But I ain't going out, so... Yeah, screw that. Going to COVID land. <laughs> COVID land. So if everyone listening, please do subscribe. And also, if you could leave us a review or just click the five stars, it takes two seconds. Yeah, that would be really appreciated. One. It helps with the algorithm on iTunes. <laughs> Gets us up the, uh, the old tables. Yeah, the charts. Whatever, uh, and probably with all it. the one stars we're going to get from Scientology, it would really help. Yeah, mitigate those. And um, what else? Uh, follow us on social media. Yes. At Have You Pod, that's Twitter and Instagram. And come back and listen yeah, to us. Yeah, come back for more about next week. History. About for, for more Dan, because you've had two weeks of me. Oh, so. yes. I'm up. <laughs> He's up I'm next. off the bench this week. <laughs> I'm tagging him in like a weird history really slow <laughs> r- race <laughs> yeah I ain't good at I ain't good at races but this I can do a lovely okay. strolling paced relay <laughs> <laughs> like um there's actually a thing that you can do which is like walk- it's called walking football it's for like old men who don't want to give up the dream of playing football <laughs> So they do walking football where you don't run. It's like a speed limit. Yeah, you just walk. 
walking football. That sounds great. I'd, I'd be up for that. Sounds better than normal football. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just walk. It's just essentially walking. I love a walk. Um, a bit of a hike. Yeah, I know. Rambling, well, I'm just going for a walk. Rambling football. Anyway, we'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>